0: You're listening to the Hard Men Podcast, reclaiming biblical masculinity in a world of softness. Well, welcome to the Hard Men Podcast. I am your host, Eric Kahn. And in case you can't tell, I'm a little bit under the weather. I had an epic last week uh, elk hunting with my dad, my brother, and my son. It was phenomenal. Probably do some podcasting on that in an upcoming episode. But uh, we had one morning, my dad killed an enormous bull elk. And immediately after he shot that, another one walked out. My son shot that one. So it was this really cool moment where grandpa and grandson uh, kill elk in the same moment, my son's first elk. Um, so that was really exciting, but it was really cold and I got sick. Uh, probably a head cold. Uh, if you're the government, it's definitely COVID, which is fatal 100% of the time, as we all know. But uh, yeah, I'm super excited to, to be doing this podcast in particular. Sickness notwithstanding, it is one of the most important shows I think that we'll do. And in this episode, we're going to be reviewing Zach Garris's book, Masculine Christianity. Now, you probably have never heard of the book or the author, and there's good reason for that. The book just came out in 2020, so it's brand new, and it was self-published by Zach through a publishing company that he has started himself, and that is Zion Press. So Zach reached out to me on Facebook, and he asked if he could send me a copy of his book. He just said, hey, I got a copy of the book called Masculine Christianity. I want to send that your way, see if you would read it. And, uh, you know, I wasn't really sure what to expect. So I passed along my address and I quickly forgot about it. Um, And a lot of this has to do with, I work in the media industry. And so people will send me books all the time. And most of them are terrible. Uh, You know, a week goes by, I receive this book in the mail. and I said, oh, this is interesting. So I open the package, I crack open the book. I start looking at the table of contents. And I'm skimming through the chapters, and I have to tell you, to put it very mildly, I was absolutely shocked by what I found in the book. So here's the deal this is probably the most important book on masculinity, femininity, and biblical sexuality that I have ever read, right? This is why I'm so stoked to do this show. Doesn't matter if I'm sick, it's important that you guys delve into this book. I want to recommend it just from the beginning. Spoiler alert. I'm giving it a 10 out of 10. I highly recommend it and would encourage you guys to go buy that book. Now I'm going to provide a link in the show notes. Um, According to Zach, the best way to purchase that book right now is through Amazon. He's set up there as a seller. So I'll provide a link for you guys to do that. This is the book we've all been waiting for that defends biblical patriarchy and sexuality. Zach does just a simply masterful job at delving into the biblical record and then connecting that with modern issues and everything going on in the church. He's clear, he's sharp, and he's courageous. So when you look at the book, you go on Amazon and you're going to buy this book, the cover looks... Just incredibly boring, All <laughs> right. I told Zach, I was like, this cover is so underwhelming. And yet, it really does live up to the old adage, you can't judge a book by the cover. Because you start delving into the contents, as I did, and this is easily one of my all-time favorite books on any subject, but in particularly human sexuality as it relates to the issues going on in the church and in the culture today. So, the first thing I want to do today is I want to lay out a couple of the reasons why I think this book is so important for the church today, and in particular, why it has been helpful to me. So, the number one reason is because I believe the greatest crisis of our generation is being fought over human sexuality. And no one has adequately and thoroughly defended biblical patriarchy, biblical sexuality, and the biblical understanding of gender roles. That flow from those issues. Now, as I highlighted in a previous episode on this podcast, there are serious problems with complementarian theology. Keep in mind, complementarian theology is the most popular conservative position within broader evangelicalism. But as we discuss in that show, and as Zach discusses in his book, complementarian theology is little more than a halfway house built by Christians to make some form of gender role and distinction more palatable to a godless feminist culture. Right? And then you move even more left on the spectrum, and of course we've got the more openly unbiblical egalitarianism. It's nothing more than feminism rebranded. As Zach shows in his book, it's also an open rejection, and it reveals an open embarrassment about the clear meaning of the text of Scripture. Zach will show how this is the case over and over again. But the great question that I have, and so many people have had, they've talked to me about this, they say, okay, if complementarianism falls short of the biblical standard for gender roles and egalitarianism, we know, is blatantly unbiblical in its embrace of feminism, right? All that is true, but then how do we define the positive biblical position? So the answer that I gave, and would continue to give, is historic biblical patriarchy. That is the answer, and really a biblical understanding of gender roles. That's the answer. But there hasn't been an exhaustive, thorough treatment of this subject. You can catch glimpses of it if you read dead theologians and pastors from church history. You can find it in the pages of Matthew Henry's commentary. John Knox's writing or John Calvin's commentaries or sermons. But there's little, especially when you're looking for a comprehensive study or systematic treatment of the subject matter. Now, I've asked numerous well read Reformed pastors what books they would recommend on biblical patriarchy, and in large part, it's been crickets, silence. Nobody has an answer to that question, and the reason is simple because While you can garner nuggets from some of these old dead theologians, as I mentioned, no one really has put together a systematic piece of literature on the subject, and certainly not in a fashion that addresses the rampant sexual perversions that are being taught in the church and in the culture today. So this is where Zach's book, Masculine Christianity, really comes into play. This is exactly what he does. He offers a systematic, thorough, robust treatment of human sexuality from the pages of Scripture. He defends Scripture as patriarchal in nature and very masculine in nature, something that has been lost in our culture. He deals with all the controversial, prominent passages from both the Old and New Testaments, and he paints a cohesive portrait of what biblical patriarchy looks like. He quotes reformers like Calvin and Luther and Knox and more modern sources, including Bavink, R.L. Dabney, and others. In the process, he profoundly defines and defends biblical masculinity, femininity, household, civil government, and gender role distinctions in every single area of life. So, because it's so broad, I think this would be a great book for both men and women to read. It's profound, not just in talking to men, but really every gender role as it relates to scripture. Whatever Piper and Grudem's book, Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, was for the complementarian movement, well, I believe masculine Christianity is and should be for the patriarchy movement, which is simply put, biblical sexuality. Except I think it goes even further than this. I think Zach's book is far more systematic and consistent, and it's far more powerful in addressing modern issues in the life of the church from a consistently biblical perspective. So one of the big problems I had with recovering biblical manhood and womanhood was they're very vague in general in a lot of areas, and they sort of leave the door open. Like They don't want to step on toes. Whereas, as we'll see, Zach is much more to the point. He'll be like, look, if, if you're a career woman who's rejected having children and doesn't want to be at home, you need to repent because that's wicked and sinful, right? That's not something you're going to get from Piper and Grudem. And their book had a lot of different authors from a lot of different perspectives, even within the complementarian camp. So again, even the own authors uh, in the book do not all agree that can kind of be a frustrating thing especially when you're trying to be systematic about something. So again, Zach's book is much more cohesive and I would argue biblical and because of that is much more helpful as well. So the second reason I think masculine Christianity is so massively important is because of the exhaustive nature in which Zach interacts with the most significant biblical passages and theological works on the subject matter. So Zach will interact with Piper and Grudem. He'll interact with Andreas Kostenberger, Carl Truman, R.T. France, and most of the other major players in the conversation about human sexuality. He mentions Amy Bird. He succinctly dismantles both egalitarian and complementarian positions, and I would say with just airtight arguments in a clear writing style. It's very, very helpful and clear. At the same time, he lays out the case for biblical patriarchy, in a way that is clear and convincing from Scripture. Quite simply put, this is the best book that I've come across on the subject, hands down. The book comes with footnotes, which I find are a very excellent way to keep track of quotations. It allows you to do further research and find other resources that are also very, very helpful. Now, the other thing that Zach does is he deals with the majority of relevant passages from all of scripture on gender roles, including why men and women shouldn't dress like the opposite sex, which we find in Deuteronomy 22.5, why women should be primarily occupied in the home, which we find in places like Timothy and Titus, why Christian children need a Christian education, Deuteronomy 6, and why women shouldn't be in combat or police roles. So he's going to argue on these points and more, and he shows in each of them a clear line from the text to modern applications and implications. So I think this is where Zach is so helpful, is he's like, he's going to talk about daycare. He's going to talk about the nitty gritty details of what does that mean for women, careers, what kind of jobs you work, are you in the home, how many children do you have, what does it actually mean to be fruitful and multiply. Right? Zach will delve into each one of these issues and address them from the biblical text, and that's why it's so helpful. Now, I'll also point out at this point, it's important to note that the book is not written at an overly academic level. It's also not dry and boring, and Zach doesn't get lost in tedious arguments about Greek or Hebrew grammar, even though he does engage in a very insightful way with the original languages at many points. The book is ultimately meant to be a highly accessible piece of literature for the broader church, and I think it does an amazing job at this. I think Zach has written the book in a way that the average layman would find it very, very helpful and understandable. So I picked up the book, and I read about half of it in one evening. It's 281 pages in overall length, and I have to say, I just could not put it down. It's that good. I was finished, I think, in three days total. And I think for most people, again, it will be a very easily accessible book. I think one main reason the book is so cohesive and intelligently argued is because Zach is both a graduate of Reformed Theological Seminary, so he has this theological, deep theological understanding, but Zach is also a practicing lawyer. So he's got this theological training, but then he is able to make this case With literally no holes in it, I I was reading the book and I was like, "Man, this is just airtight." I don't know how you you look at the text and you you can follow what Zach's saying. Like, how do you get out of this? Right? He just knows how to argue very clearly and to the point. And after talking to him, Zach said that he spent two to three years researching this subject, and I believe him. It clearly shows how thorough in his approach he's been. And I think because of that, this book is just such a tremendous blessing and a tremendous encouragement should be for the broader church. Now, the third reason I think this book is so important is because Zach writes with tremendous courage. Right? One of the biggest problems in the church today is that we have pastors and we have laymen who are spineless cowards, people who are embarrassed about the text of Scripture. It's not so much that we're unclear about what the text says we just try and dismiss it. Well, those were cultural things back then. And Zach shows from the text, particularly in Timothy and Titus, Paul's actually making his arguments from creation, not culture. He's talking about the nature of men and women from the beginning, how God made them. He's not talking about what was culturally relevant. So why is it that women need to remain silent and are not given teaching positions of authority? Well, Zach shows from the text, It's because man was created first. There's an order and a nature in creation, and that reflects the differences in gender roles. Again, not rooted in culture, but in creation, in the nature of men and women. What is the main reason that no one is defending biblical patriarchy today? Well, because it is so heinously unpopular to do so. No publisher in his right mind is going to pick up that manuscript. That's one of the main reasons I believe Zach had to publish this himself. Crossway is not going to pick up this book. No preacher is going to tackle that sermon series. Most mainline reform pastors, I think of people like Kevin DeYoung, I think about, you go a little more left, obviously people like Tim Keller, who are openly egalitarian, they would just out of hand reject this stuff, right? I don't want to talk about gender roles. You know, Tim Keller as Zach points out, is famous for saying, anything a non-ordained man can do, a woman can do. Right? We're getting into this realm of a gender-neutered society where people are basically this interchangeable parts, men and women. And Zach shows from scripture that that is simply not the case at all. What we need are people today who are bold and courageous, willing to tackle these issues. Think about the church today. If you do hear anything on sexuality, it usually comes in the form of pandering, equivocation, skirting through tough issues, or simply soft peddling hard truths. Pastors regularly fall back on empty platitudes like, be a male servant leader, whatever that means. But they fail to address issues like the abuse of birth control within Christian marriages. Right? Many Christian marriages are not fruitful, and it's by choice. But what pastor is willing to deal with that is, a, is an actually a sin issue. Scripture is very clear. Be fruitful and multiply. Again, but if you deal with those issues in the church today, hey, why do you only have one kid? You know, those get to be touchy issues, don't they? What about other issues? Why so many Christians aren't having children? Why so many women are putting their career and not their home first? Or perhaps how daycares and status education public school, is ruining our children. Zach deals with all of these manfully and courageously. Right? He doesn't equivocate. He doesn't pander on these issues. He doesn't soft-pedal the truths. That's what I found in so much complementarian writing. Instead, Zach is direct. He's unapologetic about the clear teaching of Scripture. And again, he manfully addresses those applications related to gender roles today. Now, on the one hand, it could be that there hasn't been a full treatment of historic biblical patriarchy because it was the accepted position in Christianity and within most cultures throughout human history, again, until feminism started to take root in the mid-1800s. That's probably true, right? So many people have taken for granted the assumed reality of the world of father rule. So perhaps no one in the church felt the need to defend it. I think that's probably true. But the bigger reason today is cowardice in our pulpits and in our seminary classrooms. Right? There's simply embarrassment about the plain meaning of the text. If you want to be ridiculed, fired, canceled, doxxed, or charged with a thought crime, if you want to be relegated to the obscurity of spraying cockroaches in the basement of the building without pay, well then by all means suggest that women were meant to rear children in the home. Suggest that women shouldn't be in the military or law enforcement. Suggest that women shouldn't serve in civil government. Or, God forbid, that women are in any way different in their nature than men. In other words, the church hasn't defended biblical patriarchy largely, well, because as I said, of spineless cowards. Feminism, androgyny, homosexuality, and other sexual perversions have captured the culture And so, to speak out against them with the authoritative truth of God's word, well, it's likely to get you hanged in the public court of opinion. How many preachers have you heard address as sin, things like women shaving their heads and dressing like lumberjacks, or limp-wristed men with lisps and skinny jeans? What about addressing career-seeking single women or men who avoid marriage or children like the plague? These sermons are few and far between if they're happening at all. Let's be honest about the state of the church. The church has largely caved to politically correct feminism and, quote-unquote, equality. Two worldviews that seek to erase differences in gender roles and to replace it with what I've called the great gender-neutered society. Patriarchy, to most people today, is a four-letter word and particularly in the American church. Masculine Christianity by Zach Garris is a powerful tool that has a very real potential to give pastors and laymen the courage. This is what we need, the courage to speak plainly and authoritatively from scripture about human sexuality, and particularly this subject of patriarchy. Zach is himself plain spoken, straightforward, and direct with the word of truth. And I appreciate his book so much because of that. There were many times I was reading this book and I was convicted. And I know my wife could hear me from the other room saying, ouch. Like we have some things in our family that we have to repent of. But as Christians, as a church, Zach brings the truth to bear on difficult issues, uncomfortable issues in the church and culture to talk about today. And that's exactly what we need as Christians. And here, here's the deal. As Christians, we joyfully welcome these moments of conviction, right? They're hard. They cut to the quick. They cut to the heart. They force us to realize where we need to repent and renew our obedience according to the word of God. But these are also the moments that we cherish as Christians. We say, I do love God's word, right? And I've been wrong. And so now we need to do the hard work of changing and repenting. And again, as Christians, we, we welcome this. So fourth, the book, I believe, is important because it will be a foundational resource or should be a foundational resource for sermons, teaching series, small groups, and more. So I think this is a great resource. Like if you're a pastor... You're a podcaster, you're an author, you do newsletters, you teach men's groups, whatever it is, I would encourage you to buy Masculine Christianity and use this as a starting point for your teaching and or whatever ministry uh, you're involved in. It's such a foundational work, this book, in the area of human sexuality. And again, it's very accessible and it's got a lot of great footnotes and resources to really get you thinking about how to teach your men and how to teach your women. While it does, the book does address our current cultural moment with poignancy, it's also a timeless defense of the historic truths of the Christian faith regarding sexuality and patriarchy. It's not a new 90s or 2010s men's ministry fad. This is not Rob Bell, okay? Velvet Elvis... It's going to be popular for five seconds, flash in the pan, and then disappear because it's utter garbage. What Zach is doing is he's redigging the wells of Abraham, right? He's redigging old truths and he's showing how these truths have actually been what the reformers, they've been what Augustine, they've been what the church fathers believed throughout church history. So in that way, we're being connected to the rich well of the historic Christian faith. This book is not about being a faddish movement that's driven by emotionalism, or innovative teachings or practices, right? Again, the book plugs us into the historic faith of our fathers and shows us just how far off course that we've gotten. In doing so, it also gives us a blueprint for how we can reclaim biblical masculinity and femininity in a culture that's awash with pagan doctrine. So I think this really can be a valuable resource for pastors who want to preach on this topic. And I would encourage you, if you're a pastor, preach on this, man. It is God's word. Men and women's groups, this is going to be helpful for you. Study the material together. Talk about how you can apply it to your own lives. And for men, again, like myself, who have other formats for addressing the material, including podcasts and newsletters, I would just encourage this as a great resource I know for me, it's going to be a a reference manual and a book that I probably put on the shelf. I've got one shelf in my library that is like, you read these every year at least once, right? Because they're so important. This book is front and center on that shelf. So the fifth reason I want to give why this book is so important is because Zach shows the goodness, the goodness of patriarchy and God ordained gender roles in the life of the church and culture. So let's face it, we live in a context in which the church itself is constantly apologizing and embarrassed about the clear teaching of scripture. When scripture says something like, I want a woman to be in the home raising her children, we go, oh, well, let me explain to you why that isn't what that means. That was back then. That was back when we were all barbarians in the Corinthian church. That's not, that's not now. Don't you worry about that. Right, We're embarrassed about something that's actually very plain in Scripture. We're embarrassed by the fact that Scripture clearly calls for masculine leadership. Women are not to be pastors or elders in the church. Likewise, Zach shows how women are also not to be in roles of combat, police, or civil government. What is the civil government? The civil government is an extension of the family. You can look at Old Testament with Moses and who were the elders? They were those who led well in their homes. What was the requirement? They were men who led well in their homes. How could you then be exalting women to, to positions of civil government? Women who are not allowed scripturally to rule over their husband, but then they're going to go into culture and they're going to rule over everyone's husbands. This makes absolutely no sense. And this is what Zach points out in the book. What about feminine nurture in the home? Right? We're embarrassed about this. Zach pointed out, look at the nature of women. They have breasts in a womb. Men do not have those things. Right? Why? Because women are so gifted. So gifted by nature at being nurturers of life. Right. And this is what they're designed for. And we should celebrate that as good, not try and turn them into men or interchangeable parts with men in the workforce. Men and women are to dress or groom themselves in obedience to their sex. Zach unpacks this. Men and women should not dress like each other. We all kind of know this, by the way, right? We all have this sense, like even my kids, they're, you know, even when they're little, four and five, they're like, why, why is that woman dressed like a man? I don't understand. Like we understand this, but then Zach will actually unpack from scripture why that's the case. God actually speaks to this issue. It's very important, and he says in Deuteronomy 22.5, that men and women who dress like the other sex are an abomination to the Lord. In particular, that passage is about women who take on military apparel. God says this is an abomination. It's an abomination. This is a word of the living God. It's not somebody's opinion. And this is what's so helpful. We're embarrassed as a church by the fact that men and women are, by virtue of creation, different in nature and role. Yet God's word is clear. Men and women are not simply interchangeable parts. This stupid mantra that we believe in our culture, anything you can do, I can do better, well, newsflash, it's a white hot lie. Men and women were not made to do the same thing. They are of equal worth, of course, before God. But what gives them their glory is that they have unique roles. I don't know why we think we glorify something when we completely neuter it of every unique characteristic that it has, and we say, well, anyone can do that, right? It's sort of like this post-industrial mindset that everything is just an interchangeable part, when in fact, nothing could be further from the truth. My friend and pastor, Jared Sparks, said this in a recent episode, and I, I think it's poignant here. He said, liberalism starts with embarrassment about the plain teaching. Of scripture. Isn't that so true? Instead of boldly proclaiming the authority and goodness of God's word, many pastors and American churchgoers feel the need to explain away or downplay the Bible's teaching on gender roles. And so, what I love about masculine Christianity is the way that Zach expounds a passage like 1 Timothy 2, right? It's a passage which says that women shall not teach, but they remain silent in the church. And then a woman will be saved, the word is salvation, a woman will be saved through child rearing. And then he goes on to proclaim that this is for our good, right? This is the thing that that we need to capture as a Christian church. It's good the way God ordered things. Women in the home rearing children, fathers working and providing and protecting, that is a beautiful, glorious, good thing, and that's what leads to human flourishing. Being a butch lumberjack dyke who dyes your hair purple and just mutilates your body and then goes off and has rampant fornications and rampant sex with anything and everything, that's not good. It's heinous and disgusting. It's a distortion. It's abomination to the Lord, right? So these commands of scripture, God doesn't command these gender roles because he dislikes us and wants us to be miserable. Right, They're good things, and they're glorious things. And when we reject the clear teaching of Scripture, we do so to our peril. That's why our culture is where it is, and the church has been cowardly in not calling people to embrace full-orbed, biblical, robust sexuality. Zach calls us back to that in the book. So we need to be constantly reminded, and in Zach's book again, is so good at this, that God's teaching on sexuality is the basis for our flourishing as humans. It's a good thing. Let's rejoice in it. So what I want to do now as part two of this podcast, I want to move on and talk about, just go over a brief outline and then go over key takeaways from the book. And really what I'm trying to do in this part of the show is not be exhaustive about what's in the book. But what I want to do is give you some main takeaways and hopefully whet your appetite. My hope is that you'll buy this book and you'll read it and you'll keep reading it and you'll share it with other people. It is phenomenal. So I'm going to go through an outline and some takeaways and then we will wrap things up. So first of all, the book begins with a historical look at the rise of feminism and the erosion of masculinity in the American culture. Things that we've talked about on this show as well, Zach does a phenomenal job unpacking them. He points out that feminism destroys the family while, quote, minimizing sex distinctions with an emphasis on pushing women away from the home and children and into careers like men, end quote. He then breaks down the different waves of feminism from the 19th to 20th centuries, including how they impacted the temperance movement, the passing of the 19th Amendment, which was a women's right to vote, and then Roe v. Wade. Now, it's interesting. This is, a, this is an interesting um, subject, but to delve into the 19th Amendment, Zach is a lawyer, and he does a very good job of unpacking why that wasn't a good thing. In our culture today, Like to say that I don't believe that women should have the right to vote or that women should be voting... Um. Yeah. If you want to see book burnings, if you want to see people show up your house with pitchforks, that's probably a good place to start. But that's exactly what Zach says, and he makes a very valid logical case. Despite what we think about the Nineteenth Amendment today, Zach argues that it was detrimental because it thrust women into the public sphere, and it left them in large part unprotected and vulnerable in the world of civic government. It required them to participate in public life. And to pull them away from the home. The home, by the way, in which they were protected, loved, and were the queen and the crown of the family unit. Well, they they become voters thanks to the 19th Amendment. And then we also see other things happen. Like no fault divorce, that becomes a thing. And Roe v. Wade. Right? Roe v. Wade largely, legally speaking, like the no fault divorce stuff, was They were huge decisions that undercut masculine authority. And Zach unpacks sort of the implications of each one of these things. He also points out that the church is largely complicit in not addressing this feminization process. So he says, quote, Western church has become feminist, and adopting feminism, the church has become weak and impotent. It has traded its masculine calling for effeminacy. End quote. And in particular, he writes, quote, They have not preached against unlawful divorce, promiscuous dating culture, egalitarian marriage practices, effeminacy and male behavior, the idolatry of career and materialism over children, and homosexuality. Quote. And then he quotes R.L. Dabney. This is profound. He quotes Dabney from the 1800s who said this, quote, Feminism will destroy Christianity and civilization in America. End quote. (laughs) Dabney nails that one. In chapter two, Garris breaks down the ways the American Church is in apostasy over the issue of biblical sexuality. And in particular, Zach attacks the notion that a man or woman can be godly without pursuing obedience to their sex. So this, I've heard this a lot. Guys have said to me. Listen, man, whether I'm masculine or effeminate, it doesn't matter. Let's be gospel-centered. The only thing that matters is salvation in Christ. And this is what Zach says in response is absolutely brilliant. I'm quoting now. He says, The goal of salvation, the talos, is that we become godly men and women. Scripture not only commands men and women to fulfill their proper roles, but it also forbids confusing roles. Men are not to act like women, and women are not to act like men. To do so, in Paul's words from Romans, is contrary to nature, end quote. So again, he's unpacking this case that in order for us to be faithful to Christ, we have to live out in obedience to our own sex. If if you're a woman, that means being faithfully feminine. And if you're a man, that means being faithfully masculine. So masculinity and femininity are not throwaway issues. They're core issues on the road to salvation. We need to take them seriously as a church. We don't. Now, in turn, Zach unpacks this concept, which we've done in this show as well, of malikos, softness or effeminacy, in other words. Greek word is malikos. And he details from scripture how men must act like men and not like women. What's amazing in our culture, right, so you could have talked to like our grandparents or your great-grandparents, and if you would have said that like, hey, men need to act like men, they'd be like, yeah, no, duh. What, why are you even saying that? But in our culture today, it's controversial to even suggest that there is a way of acting like men or a way of acting like women. And Zach unpacks how that is the case from scripture. He also goes to places like 1 Timothy 2, Which says that a woman's salvation is tied up in her willingness to embrace a life of child rearing, something that is good, glorious, and accords with her nature. Now, he'll make the case it's not that she's earning salvation in the sense of justification, but that part of her salvation is sanctification, and that process is tied up in raising children and keeping a home. So, the natural process by which women will be saved. Sanctified and brought to complete salvation is by having a family, raising children, keeping the home. That's the normal pattern. Again, in 1 Timothy 2, this isn't based on culture, it's based on creational roles. Zach then tears down modern exegetical attempts to avoid the plain teaching that women are designed to be in the home, raising children, and helping their husbands. In chapter three, Zach breaks down the main problems and compromises in the complementarian system, while chapter four lays out the positive case for patriarchy. Chapter five importantly shows that gender roles are rooted in creation, not culture, and that men and women's very natures carry the hardwiring for the roles God says they ought to employ. For example, as we said before, a woman's body has soft breasts and a womb both of which plainly reveal a feminine nature meant to nourish life. In chapter six, Garrish defends hierarchy. Somewhere, a feminist just combusted into flames. Hierarchy! Arrgh. We live in a, a culture, especially the leftist progressives, right? They're in love with socialism and Marxism. And if you know anything about Marxism, what they hate most is patriarchy and hierarchy. Authority structures at the top of which are men and families. That's why, by the way, I've podcasted about this before, but Black Lives Matter. Why is it so important that Black Lives Matter is like, we're tearing down patriarchy. We're tearing down hierarchy. We're trying to destroy nuclear families. Well, because for socialism to take root, you have to neuter and destroy masculinity and you have to destroy family structures, right? Right. Same thing going on in our culture today. Feminism is at war with God's creational design, and they're very intentional about this. They want to destroy the nuclear, godly, biblical Western family, and they want to replace it with the state. Right? So, what you have to do is destroy masculinity. That's why this stuff's going on. So, Zach will actually make a positive defense. You can look at all of scripture. Hierarchy is everywhere you, see, everywhere you look, men at the top of hierarchies and hierarchical structures, which God says are good. Parents have a hierarchical structure over their children, men over their households, and then civil, civil magistrates over certain other spheres and communities and neighborhoods as well. So in chapter 8 and 9, Zach will deal with specific passages, including 1 Timothy and 1 Corinthians, while chapters 10 and 11 deal with masculine authority in the church, home, and the world. Now, as we've been talking about, Zach will do something that the complementarians don't. Um, There's this sense of uh, being a narrow complementarian where you say that masculine authority only applies to these sort of tiebreak decisions in the home and the church, right? It doesn't apply to other spheres, but Garrus will clearly explain how masculine authority extends well beyond the walls of the church or the home. Masculinity and authority is not just about who preaches on Sunday. It's not just about who has the tiebreak decision about where we're eating for dinner tonight. Right? It also applies to things like women in combat, it applies to things like rule and civil magistrate positions, and who should take up the police officer's baton. Zach deals from scripture why these. Issues uh, should be dealt with in the church, and he's very convincing. Now, the final chapter, chapter 12, is titled Leaving a Manly Legacy, and it is absolutely excellent. I don't want to spoil that one for you, but men and women, trust me, it'll put the fire in your belly to leave a multi generational legacy of faithfulness in and through your home. So, I encourage you to read that, it's very, very good. In that chapter, Zach talks about multi-generational vision. He talks about leaving a legacy and the reality that parenting is the most important task in the world, not your career, parenting, raising your children, teaching them how to be faithful to God. He writes this, quote, the I can't stay at home attitude common among many modern women is ungodly and those who hold it should repent end quote. So it's, it's stuff like this. He's just straight to the point. He's like, look, this, this whole attitude of like hating motherhood and hating the household, it's sinful and you need to repent of it. God says it's good. So if your heart says it's bad, well, then you're wrong. You're living in denial of your very own nature, right? And again, I found this more than anything, just encouraging. He argues that parents should seek to have lots of children They should order their households around the support of those children, and they should ensure that those children receive a Christian education. So that's a brief overview of the book. I want to conclude now with just a few thoughts of how the book has impacted me and why I think sort of the so what. Why should it be important, and why should it be on your reading list? So after I recommended the book, my friend Aaron bought it, and after I think he had read a few chapters. He said, bro, this is the kind of book they're going to be burning in the streets. And the truth is, Aaron's not wrong. This is the kind of book that would piss off a majority of people in the church today, right? Not just the culture. It would piss off the church, right? There's also obviously going to be the nuclear triggering that would happen if diehard feminists catch wind of this book. That's why I think it's so good. Here's how I would encourage you to read it. Read it with an open mind and an open heart. Don't read it saying, "Yeah, culture and those people, right?" My hunch is this book is going to piss a lot of you off. Because if you're honest and you read this book, you're going to say there's a lot of issues that that I have been living in disobedience to God on. I know that was the case for me reading the book, right? And I think it will be for a lot of other people. As well. I think this is about the most red pill book that I can imagine. Like, this is like red pilling the red pillars. Okay. So, in my life, I've gotten small doses of biblical sexuality spread out over, say, like 15 years. And I've slowly come to the position that I'm at today. But this book, Masculine Christianity, is full dose red pill biblical sexuality in your face, 100% octane. proof, right? So I just want to tell you, be prepared for that. And if you recommend it to other people, be prepared for them to be pissed, but be praying for them as well that they would be convicted. Look, this is what I always come back to with people. Either that's what the text says or it doesn't. If God's word says that, then we have to do what it says. That should be our fundamental conviction as Christians. If this is the word of God, then we have no right to question what it says. We may not like it, but we have to implement what is clearly taught there. So again, I'd encourage you, take the book seriously. If you do that, like me, you'll have a lot of repenting to do. Now, I want to end with one of the ways the book has actually shaped me um, in the last couple weeks, having read it, having thought more about it. Rather than making me want to go around beating my chest and demanding things of my children and wife, right? You guys need to follow my every woman wish. That's really not the impact the book has had on my life at all, right? Zach's writing has made me painfully aware of the monumental task and the weight of responsibility that I've been given as a man, a father, and a husband, right? God didn't just put me in this relationship with my wife and be like, well, you two just sort of figure it out and work it out like there's a real responsibility to lead and she has a real responsibility to obey me and so do my children. And if my wife has a responsibility to submit, like actual submit to authority because you're in charge and she's not, that puts such a weight on my shoulders. It made me painfully aware, likewise, of my many selfish abdicating failures as a man. It was like, I read that book and I was like, man, I have got to step up. God has given me a weighty role. I need to protect this family. I need to protect my wife. I need to provide for her. Right? I've been deeply humbled and sobered by this responsibility of God-ordained authority. So many times, and I think this is true of many of you men as well, so many times we think patriarchy means that our wife is the scraper for muddy boots. But what scripture says is that she is the crown of glory for our heads. As the mother of my children and a willing helper to a man who often goes full retard, that's me, when he shouldn't, right? You never go full retard. Yet in all of this, my wife bears the glorious calling of Eve. And in turn, she is to be praised and honored as our queen. Reading this book made me appreciate so deeply the glory that my wife is to me. It's also important to point out about the fatherhood of God and the way men function. We're at our best when we as men are being called to the most noble and the highest moral standards by our very masculine and fatherly God. Men do not need things to be easy. They do not need a video game, crappy, cheap, junk food entertainment style of life. They need excruciatingly hard, demand-everything-from-your-life type challenges, and they need good examples, and they need someone who can breathe into them and say, you were called to this, and I know that you can do it. This is your calling. Now go and fulfill it. Right? So often, men don't need chided. They don't need browbeat or scolded. Our sons don't need that, and neither do we. We need a weighty, manly call to step up to true virtue, self-sacrifice, responsibility and manly authority. And so for pastors, especially, but also for fathers, with sons and friends of other men, we need to call our men up, not beat them down. And I think this book by Zach Garris is a great way to show how that's done. He does so masterfully in the book. It's got rich teaching from the pages of Scripture. And again, it's the kind of book that if you listen to it and you practice it, it has the real potential to radically transform the church, the culture, and most importantly, your own life. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of the Hard Men Podcast. I hope it's been very encouraging and informative for you, and I hope you will indeed check out Zach Garris' book, Masculine Christianity. Also stay tuned to the channel because in an upcoming episode, we're going to be interviewing and sitting down with Zach Garris to talk about the book and why he wrote it, as well as some of the insights that he's gained in the process of writing and then carrying that message to the church and the culture, so be sure to stick around for that. If you're not already, I would encourage you to become a Patreon supporter. Not only will you get early access to episodes like this one, you will also receive a 16-ounce Hard Men pint glass, as well as access to our online community, a very exclusive club. We interact with one another. It's been very, very good, especially in this difficult season. It's been great to be able to connect with other men who share a similar passion and mindset for reclaiming biblical masculinity in a world of softness. So be sure in the show notes you can check out the link for Patreon. For those who are supporting, we deeply appreciate it. Had a lot of new supporters in the last couple weeks and we're very very glad indeed to have you. Thoughts, encouragement, comments, threats, feedback, send those my way. You can do so on any one of the outlets including social media, Facebook, Twitter, or you can send me an email for Patreon supporters to send me a comment through the Patreon system. And until next time, men, stay frosty, fight the good fight, act like men.